0: All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Last week, we were looking at Matthew, chapter 2, and dealing with a man who hated Christmas. Today, we want to look at chapter 2, and we're going to deal with the wise men. Notice, beginning in verse 1 of Matthew, chapter 2, the scripture says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him... Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, They presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose... He took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus and I plead with you again today for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God that as the word of God is preached it would go forth in power. There's one here without Christ as Savior. May they be convicted of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his free gift of eternal life. I pray for believers today. Oh, God, may we live for you, serve you, make our lives count for you. Do a work in hearts today, we pray, and we will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, as you know, there are a lot of stories and myths about Christmas that people believe that really you're not even in the Bible. I remember hearing some little boy a while back asking the question, he says, what profession were the wise men? I mean, it just says wise men. Some people have said kings, doesn't say that in the scripture. Uh, And he says, no, they were firemen because it says that they came from afar. Now, obviously, it had to be a southern boy that told that joke, but... Some of the slower ones need to get it quick so I can move on. But some say there were three wise men, but the Bible doesn't give us a count or a number of how many wise men there were. It does tell us that there were three types of gifts that were given. There was gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I guess that's where the songwriter got the three wise men. Uh, Some, as I said, say the wise men were kings, that basically that would come from the song which says, we three kings of Orient are. Uh, They were magi. Magi were a class of soothsayer and fortune tellers, uh, magicians in the Babylon area, uh, later with the Medes and the Persians. Earlier during Daniel's time, Daniel was counted with their number because he was able to interpret dreams as he interpreted a couple of different things for different kings that he served under. But by the time of the birth of Christ, this group had developed into kind of a priestly Political class. They had much to say over who would reign over their people. And since the king over in that area was old and was going to die soon... And they had read about from the book of Daniel about the king of Israel that would be coming. And they had a time and they had a sign and it was all coming together. They wanted to see this one who was the king of the Jews. That just perhaps this would be the answer to their problems for Rome was taking over a number of countries and building their empire. But since Daniel had been one, they had the respect at least for the God of Daniel. That doesn't mean they were believers in the God of Daniel, but because of Daniel and his testimony from a few hundred years earlier and his prophecies coming true uh, to the point that they would say, hey, th- there could be something to this. No doubt they had read in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel about Daniel's 70 weeks and the first 69 weeks from the time of the rebuilding of the temple, from the time of the command going forth, that that's when that the prince Would come, And, of course, that would be the one who is the Christ. They also had the first five books of the Bible because the Jews had been over there in exile. And they had read about the star that would appear, his star, which is what they call it right here. I want you to notice some things about these pagans, these people who were not Christian, but they had a respect for the Christian God. And compare that to the people in the land. These people were to be looking for their Messiah, but they don't seem to be looking very hard. As a matter of fact, they were oblivious to all that was going on. They were oblivious to the truths of Scripture, so much so that Herod had to even send uh, an order in to find out where the Christ would be born, and you would have thought, After the word was brought back that it was Bethlehem, you would have thought that at least some of the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious people in Israel would have been running to Bethlehem to find this one who seems to be the fulfilling of Scripture. But they don't. By the way, you would think that a lot of people in churches would do a lot of things that they don't do. These people here were not the first people to ignore the truths from the word of God. But I want you to notice some things about these pagans. First of all, in response to the Word of God, they anticipated the Son of God. I mentioned Daniel chapter 9. The verses say there in verses 25 and 26, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem under the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Commonly known as Daniel's 70 weeks, and we don't have time to go through a long prophetic study of Daniel's 70 weeks. But we will say this, the timing was spot on. They should have been looking. They should have known. I'm talking about the people of Israel. If these pagans from over in Babylon could read that and understand the timing of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would have thought that the people in the Holy Land would have gotten it, but they didn't. You see, these pagans, they knew the right nation. They knew the right Lord that would come. They had read it. It was so plain to them. They knew the right time. The scripture had said that the king of the Jews was coming and they believed it. And they came looking for him. It's amazing that the Jews who had looked forward to his coming for years were too busy to even hunt up where it would be. Without a special command. But there are a lot of Christians like that. They get caught up in formalities of Christianity, and they can care less about the actual message. They're looking for church to be something whereby they can get the fulfillment of life that seems to be missing. But there's a lot more to life than just having yourself fulfilled. And by the way, they'll never find the fulfillment they're looking for until they surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that surrender, it's just not going to be there. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just as there are people who want to be saved one day, but they're too busy to find out how to get saved today. And unfortunately, they end up dying and going to hell because they die without Jesus. The Bible gives us very clear warnings. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible is plain when He says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The Bible says, as it is appointed unto man once to die, after this judgment. Now, you would think, with a very clear message from the Word of God about not knowing when we're going to die, but death is coming and judgment follows that, that people would want to find out so they could spend an eternity in heaven instead of burning in hell throughout eternity. Now, I know you've had people say the same thing to you. Well, preacher, I don't believe in hell. That doesn't change the reality of it. I was shocked to find out, by the way, I've had a few people on visitation. I tell them, they asked me where I was from. And I said, I'm from Sturgis, Michigan, about 30 miles south of Kalamazoo. And they start laughing. And I said, what's so funny about Kalamazoo? They said, that's not a real place, is it? Yeah, Kalamazoo is a real place. I was a rock and roll disc jockey in the city of Kalamazoo for a few years. And then a country western disc jockey just north of Kalamazoo. My hometown is south of Kalamazoo, Michigan. If it's not real, I'm in trouble. <laughs> a lot of people think, not. listen, you could be wrong about Kalamazoo and everything still be okay. But you better be right about this matter of how to escape hell and go to heaven. You better have that right. And the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus was clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want to get to the Father, you've got to come through Jesus. There is no other way. You can't get there through the church. You can't get there through the baptistry. You can't get there through keeping the law. You can't get there by being a good neighbor. You can only get there through Jesus Christ. He's it. Now, Peter agreed with that. He said in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Being a member of Madison Baptist Church won't take you to heaven. You've got to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Getting baptized doesn't take you there. You've got to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. For he is the one who died for your sins at Calvary, was buried, and rose three days later from the dead. He is the only one that gives eternal life. You see... We don't just have the Old Testament references to prove that this Jesus of Nazareth was the one that God had prophesied. I mean, we have the complete story laid out for us in this book, God's holy word. And the Bible says of it forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The psalmist said thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever you see to be ignorant of this book is to be ignorant of the truth for God's word is the truth do you realize that there were over 300 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus Christ in his first coming and every one of those prophecies were fulfilled literally exactly like God said now that ought to be enough for anybody to say hey This book seems to be right about everything that it said anything about that could possibly be tested. Everything about Jesus was exactly right. He's not some mystical or or, uh, mythological figure. He is the living Christ, the one sent by God to pay our sin debt. The one of whom it is said the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Why wouldn't you take him as your savior? That just makes sense. Well, in response to the word of God, they anticipated the sun. And in response to the act of God, they sought the sun. How did they know where to go? Well, the Bible says that his star appeared to them in the east. That is, while they were in the east, the star that had been prophesied, his star From the book of Numbers, chapter 24 and verse 17, where the scripture said, there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it was so clear to them that they even called it his star. We say, preacher, why would he come? Now, an amazing thing about this is that even his own disciples at times would ask that question. Why? What? I don't understand. Keep your hand here and turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 24, right at the end of the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, chapter 24. When you get to Luke, chapter 24, Jesus has already died on the cross, paying for our sins. He has now risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. And the risen Christ appears to two of his disciples as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a little city to the northeast of Jerusalem. And he begins talking with them, and they're downcast because of all that's taken place. And I want you to notice in verse 19, the scripture says, And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death And have crucified him, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day, or is the third day since these things were done. Now, they said, Now, this it's been three days, this is the third day since all this took place. We had trusted that he was the Christ. The problem was they had thought that when the Christ would come. He would set them free from the bondage of Rome. They did not understand that they first needed to be set free from the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin. And so Jesus answers them back. Notice in verse 25 Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. On that walk, Jesus gave them a Bible lesson. He went through. Now, by the way, back then, their books were not like we see books today. They were in scrolls. And here's Jesus, who is the word of God himself. Not having, He's not carrying along a bunch of scrolls or even a library of books in his arm, but he is carrying the library of the Word of God in his heart. And from his heart, he gives them verse after verse after verse after verse to let them know that all that was done was a fulfillment of what God had already written down ...in the Old Testament. That's why, for instance, when you're reading through the book of Matthew... ...you'll find many verses where it says that it might be fulfilled... ...that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. Even the words spoken on the cross... ...were a fulfillment of what God had said would be spoken... ...a thousand thousand years before. Just read Psalm 22... ...where we have the prophecy of what Jesus would go through on the cross... And his cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So they had been downcast. And Jesus gives them that lesson that he came to die for their sins. I imagine he probably quoted all of Isaiah 53. No doubt, especially verses 5 and 6 where it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank God Jesus went to the cross for everybody. Over three hundred prophecies fulfilled concerning his first coming exactly like he stated them. when the Jews asked for a sign Jesus gave him a sign he said the sign of the prophet Jonah now first he tells them it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign but he says here's the one sign that you get the one sign to prove that what he says that is Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale so shall Jesus be, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth. He would die on the cross, be buried, and on the third day be raised from the dead to show that God had accepted his payment. It says this in Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He came out of the grave bodily and he lives today. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. He says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and yet peradventure for, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, in response to the word of God, they anticipated the Son, and here they are now at Jerusalem. And they want to know what city it is that he would be born in. So in response to the act of God, that star that they saw, that moved along ahead of them, that it guided them at that point to Jerusalem. They wanted to know where it was that he would be born. They sought the son. And then thirdly, they worshiped the son. Look at verse 4. Let's get back here to Matthew chapter 2. inquired of them diligently the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, notice, that I may come and worship him also. So here, Bethlehem is the place he was to be born. But now Bethlehem, although it was not a big city, how would they know which house to go to? The star led them. This wasn't a star like what we look up in the sky and everybody thinks the star is over them. How could you pick out one place? And yet this star, this star led them to the exact place where the son of God was at. Now think about this matter of worship. Meanwhile, the people whose King Jesus was never bothered to go, but these guys go. Why do they go? They go to worship him. Well, why don't more people worship him? Uh, perhaps for some it'd be cost, and worship does cost. It costs in time, it costs in money. Compare the cost to the Magi. After all, they came all the way from Babylon, they had a long way to travel, they had many, many weeks. ...that would be on the road that it would be required of them to leave to get there... ...and then the return trip would cost as well. There's no doubt there was a good number of these that had come. But worship cost. There are a lot of people, they want to worship that doesn't cost. I heard a story several years ago. A pastor had gone down to Mexico. I don't remember what city he was in... ...but the Roman Catholic Church was having one of its festivals there... And like parades here in the United States, uh, there were, you know, where you have vendors along the side hawking their wares, trying to sell the stuff that they have. There was one vendor who was crying out, get your cheap crosses. Get your cheap crosses right here. Get your cheap crosses. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people want when it comes to Jesus. They want a cheap cross. They want something that doesn't cost anything. They want something that's just totally free that they can kind of add on to their life. But to meet the real Jesus and to worship him, there is a cost. Not only that, in the case of these pagans, these magi, there was danger. The one known as king of the Jews, or had pushed himself off as king of the Jews, was Herod the Great. But you see, he had purchased... His position. He had courted favor with the Caesar Augustus to have that title King of the Jews. But he was an Edomite. He wasn't even a Jew. And he, when he found out there was another king, that's why he has the babies around Bethlehem up to two years of age killed. He wasn't interested in worshiping Jesus at all. You'd wonder for these magi that have come, could seeing a baby A Jew of all things, born of a Jewish family. Could he be worth risking your life over? And yet it's amazing throughout the centuries, the number of people that have taken Christ as Savior, knowing that it could mean their life, and yet they were willing to live for him and be sold out to him. I'm not just talking about missionaries that have gone to foreign lands, but even of the disciples, do you realize, of course, Judas went out and hanged himself, But the others, all of them but one, and that was John, died martyrs' deaths. They were put to death for the gospel that they preached. They preached that Christ was the Messiah, the only way to heaven. And they were willing to take it all the way to the end. You look at Paul, who wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. He had his head chopped off after 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's here's one who lived his life dedicated for Christ. So much so he would write in Romans chapter 8 he said for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You look down through the true, true church of the Lord Jesus Christ and their worship has cost and there has been danger involved for the wise men. There was time, hundreds of miles to travel, money, cost of the trip, plus the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they gave to the Son of God, and then danger, being in a foreign land with an evil, despotic king. Luke 9.25 says, What is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The truth is, the best deal you can make is to live for Jesus. Oh, I'm not talking about the world's money. That's not it at all. I mean, Jesus, he had no place even to lay his head. Here was one who simply lived completely in the will of God and for the will of God. And God's people should have that desire as well. But you see, this is the king. And being the king, that makes it worth it all. Living for Jesus Sold out for him. Would to God that we would be a church full of Christians who believe that the king is worth it all. He's worth our life. He's worth our time here. Every bit of it. So they anticipated the son. They sought the son. They worshiped the son. And then notice in verse 12. They served the son. Now we just read in verse uh, in verse 8 that they were told by Herod. That when they see the son, they were to bring him word again that he could come and worship him also. Notice down in verse 12. The Bible says, in being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now here they are, they are disobeying the king of the land, King Herod. They are putting their lives in danger again, should he send an army after them to arrest them and bring them back. But he was a Jew, this baby, and a great discovery has been made. He'll be crowned, rewarded, given riches. No, you make the long trip back. Think about these pagans. If they go back to Herod, he'll reward them. They'd already given up much to come see this babe. And now and after all, didn't he say that I can go and worship him also? Wouldn't that be the thing to do? But God says, don't go that way. He's seeking to kill the child. So make the long trip back, which they did, minus the gold, minus the frankincense, minus the myrrh, minus all that time, minus the fame, minus any change back home. I mean, these men are going to be dead probably before this child is grown. So even though, just looking at time-wise, even if he did become the king, they're going to even rule in their land as well, they wouldn't be around to see it. So what did they get out of seeking Jesus? Here's what I believe they got. They got life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So many preachers today promise riches and fame and physical healing. Practice a rose garden. You know, you want everything good to come your way. You want to have the complete fulfillment in your life for all your dreams and your riches and the big houses. Man, that is not what Jesus is about. Jesus said, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life. These wise men truly were wise. They obeyed the word of God that tells us that he would come. They believed the act of God, that that star did appear and it was for him. And that his coming would be the finish of our salvation. Not only that, the word of God tells me how to know him. And the word of God is plain about this. Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power. To become the sons of God. And the word of God tells us how to serve him. As a matter of fact, we even have a cry from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The scripture proclaims, he that hath a son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. The question for you today is, do you have the Son? Do you have Him as your personal Savior, in whom you have put your faith for for sins forgiven, for eternal life, for a home in heaven? Because it is only in Him. It's not in you, it is in Him. Now, picture these wise men. The Bible says here that they pulled up to the house where Mary was at. Now, we don't know that Mary was outside. Perhaps there was a knock on the door. I don't know, but I do know this, considering the entourage that would have been there in the little town of Bethlehem, that truly they would have created a stir just there coming up to the house. But imagine her coming out of the door. And they see her, but more importantly, they see him. Now, there was no glow around his head; there was no halo to them, as far as how he would look, he would look as a typical Jewish baby. They see the child. think how she had the was probably holding the child, and probably Grabbing one of his hands, those precious hands that one day would be pierced with nails so that the blood would be shed to pay for our sin. That little baby, and those precious feet, you wonder how many times did she rub those precious feet with her soft hands, those feet that would be pierced and that blood would flow from to pay for our sins. And I wonder how many times she stroked his brow. And perhaps would rub her cheek against his brow. That brow that would be the stand for a crown of thorns that would sit upon his head. Where more blood would be shed to pay for our sin. How she would hold that little body next to her heart. A body that one day would be crucified to pay our sin debt. How much of that these wise men thought about, I don't know. But truly, Mary was blessed. Sinner like us, as a matter of fact, even proclaimed him as her savior and only sinners need a savior. Now I think of the wise men. As they've come up, they have presented the gifts to this mother, to this baby boy that they consider to be the king of the Jews, the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they worship him there. And then it comes time to leave. They have given their gifts. They have done their worship. They turn to leave. And I don't know how far they may have gotten down the road, but I can imagine as Mary looked on as they were leaving, she looked around at the gifts that they had given, and she holds that baby precious and close to her. She had heard the words that they had said, how his star had appeared. And she looks up at them, and one turns around and looks back at her, I can imagine, sees that baby. The others stop. and They turn around to look for a little bit too before they go over the crest of the hill. And one of them turns back to his friends and says, you know, it was worth the trip. In 1971, just before December, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I mean, for years, most of my life, didn't know anything about Him, didn't know that He was the Son of God, didn't know that He died on the cross for my sins, didn't know He raised three days later from the dead. My life had nothing to do with God whatsoever. I received Him as my Savior in the fall of 1971. And then in the last Sunday of 1974, just a little over two years or three years after I had gotten saved, I took Christ as my Savior. Since then, I've had the privilege of preaching in a number of foreign countries, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel message like I've given today in several states, a number of different churches around the United States as well. And you know, here I am, 73. I don't know how much longer has God got God for me to be alive But I want to say this, it's sure been worth the trip. And I still got heaven coming. Man, that's pretty good, Brother Popwell. Heaven's coming, and it could be soon. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Here's a young man brought up in a godless home that used Jesus' name as a curse word. But I'm going to heaven one day because Jesus saved this sinner. And to think that there may be somebody sitting in Madison Baptist Church today that if their heart were to stop beating, they'd wake up like the rich man did in Luke 16 in hell being in torment. And it doesn't have to be that way. They can have this Christ as their Savior too. But they must receive him. Lord, deal with hearts today I pray that some sinner would turn to Jesus and receive his free gift of eternal life. Have your way, Lord, in every heart and life, I ask it in Jesus' name.